You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yep. And welcome back to Talking Nicks. The madness is upon us. Not just the madness of being a Knicks fan the past couple years, the past couple decades, but March Madness, where we've seen a couple guys that might be Knicks coming up. Meanwhile, with the the A team, Los Knicks, they lose four this week. Um, a couple close to as bad as they've been this year, uh, destroyed by the Raptors, um, also destroyed by the Jazz. And then, hey, a couple fun losses. We lose to the Clippers today and the Nuggets before that. Um, guys, we're going to keep it fun with talking Knicks. We're, we're going to talk about some of the on-court stuff. We saw Knox have a day. We saw Mitchell Robinson have a couple days. Uh, but we're also going to talk about we saw a little of these prospects, and we have to talk about them a little bit to keep ourselves sane. I am joined by Thomas J. Piccolo, and let's talk Knicks. Welcome back to Talking Knicks March Madness. Woo! That's our there's a March Madness soundboard going off. Tommy Piccolo, the Mad Hatter himself. How are you, Jake? I'm doing pretty well, man. We have never made that March M- March Madness soundboard noise before, but uh, we try not to. Normally, no, that was a first, but. Uh, no, I'm I'm doing pretty well, and I hate to come right out and just pat myself on the back. Yes, but I will. Uh, I I did predict that the Knicks would go 0 and 4 this week. <laughs> go right. check the tapes. Check the tapes. Whoa, <laughs> Nostra Thomas. Um, Tom, you uh, what have you been up to? I I thought I saw you catching some rays. Yeah, caught caught some rays down in Florida. Um, I went and visited. My in-laws' family down there. Uh, it was just north of West Palm, up in the mm. Jupiter area. Mm. And uh, yeah, weather was was fine. Got to play some tennis down there. Saw some beach time. Went to the pool, and uh, just did some relaxing and, and got sunburned. So it was pretty pretty normal vacation. Were you pl- who were you playing tennis with? Just me and Rose. I my, do you my get- wife for the listeners. Do you give her a hundred percent Tommy or what, what's going on out there? No, she's uh, fairly new to the sport. So like, okay. yeah, we, we took a lesson a couple of years ago and it, it didn't stick. So okay. basically I, we just hit back and forth. It's not like we're, pl- we're not keeping score or anything. We're just right. trying to get the rallies up to as high as we can see how, how large of a number we can get to uh, before one of us hits it over a fence. Right. And I mean, does she- if she ever ropes one past you, does she ever give you – does she get a little cocky and then you kind of got a reminder? <laughs> yeah, every once in a while that does happen. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I, I I can go full 
full on and hit it at her. And she'll return it a lot of the time. She's a good athlete. Played a played a D one sport. You know, she was a track and field star. Yeah, your 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 sport is our punishment. That's yeah. what we and that's what I'd yell at them when I was getting cut from the JV teams. <laughs> I um, remember you doing that, but uh, Rose Wake- <laughs> it was really it was really off putting to be yeah. completely honest. Um, yeah, Rose wakes me up by saying that every morning. Speaking of off putting, so every ooh, well, glad things are going well at home. Um, <laughs> thinking, uh, you mentioned Rose is a novice to the sport of tennis. Um, the Knicks can look like they're novices to the sport of basketball on certain <laughs> nights. And I think that was magnified. And, you know, before we get to Knicks, because, Tom, I, I went to Aspen for the first time this weekend. And I guess I could have asked you how your weekend was. Yes, you know, you a, lot of, a lot of people would, but that's fine. Um, I, I, I ran with a bad segue there, so I'll, you're, you're off the hook for it. But I'll, uh, I'll say this. It's, uh, it's kind of what you think Aspen is. It's it's a little cool. It's pretty isolated. A lot of just dumb money floating around. Um, I was not a part of that mix per se. I was more so the uh, the drinking Pacificos in a can on the street kind of crew. But get up there. It's a cool spot. Would recommend, Tom. Is it true what they say about it that it's like a place where the beer flows like wine? And uh, yeah, the women, the women flow like the, what, what am I? I'm messing it up. The trout of the Patastrana. I, I combined <laughs> yeah, the whole quote you, there. You did mess that up, but uh, no, yeah. where beautiful women flock like the right. same Capistrano. I had it. I think I had it perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with and <laughs> That performance brought to you by the New York Knicks. Knicks, if you're going to, if you're going to give me that kind of effort against Toronto, where you, I'm, I'm counting I'm counting how how much we lost by by multiples of ten. That's the kind of that's those are the dumb and dumber quotes you're gonna get out of me. I'm gonna I'm gonna slaughter them and they're gonna be awful. Um, you know, I it's it's again, Tom, it's the point of the season where we're looking almost any positive takeaway we can find, we're pleased with. In this game, maybe you give it to ISO Zo, eight for fourteen from the field, twenty-two points. None of this game mattered. So I'm, I mean, I, I don't want to be bullish with you, Tom, but I almost just want to, it's like pass. Well, I, I did tweet um, partway through my vacation. I said that while I was on vacation, I promised not to watch any Knicks. Right. But I caught, I caught the five minutes of that first quarter versus the Nuggets and it ruined my whole trip. And it, right. it, I stand by that. Uh, they they had just started these games so poorly. This starting lineup came out lifeless just time and time again this week. I think that was one of the more notable takeaway, like negative takeaways from the week, of which there were many. So um, yeah, it's it's tricky because they come out flat every game, and they trot out like Moutier, who you look you go back and look at the numbers, and you and you say, wow, he had a pretty solid week. But his impact, like he had the worst or he had among the worst plus minuses uh, on the team for the week. And it's just you watch it and the eye test tells you this guy doesn't produce positive results. And we talk about it every week, but I just I had to harp on it again. And Tom, it's well, I shouldn't say it's starting to freak me out because it's freaked me out for a little bit. Because I guess in a in a positive note, uh, the French prince returned. Uh, Frank Nitty, he. uh, 
He got 25 minutes against the Nugs, uh, five points, five helpers, four boards. Oh, was, was trying to get that five-by-five five. Kenny's been learning to. No steals, no blocks. Uh, a gentleman, seven minutes tonight against the Clippers. Doesn't do much there. But, Tom, that's where I ended up, I, I don't want to say shaking my head or disappointed because you almost can't let this Knicks team affect your life anymore at this point. Um, we're, I mean, eight games left, something like that. We're, we're almost through the storm. <laughs> um, <laughs> excuse me, Tom, but I, I just, I, I look at today's game against the Clippers. Okay. Emmanuel Moutier, 35 minutes, 10 of 19 from the field, 26.7 assists, six boards. It's like, okay, that's that's a solid game, Manny. Like, I'm not going to get mad about it, but when you put that in context, and then I look at it the game before, and he takes 21 shots, scores 21 points, seven boards, four assists. I look at that against the Nuggets, and I'm like, why are we still doing this? Why isn't that? I'd rather see Kadeem Allen do that. I'd rather see Frank Nilakina. I'd rather see John Jenkins. Like, I I just I, I don't get it. And I'm worried that I'm worried there's belief in the Knicks organization that Manny Moutier is going to be involved more, or they've just got us one up, Tom, and they've been living this tank from day one, and Moutier was a huge part of the plan. So my, my thought process there is, I think you made some great points. Uh, I, I think that organizations tank. I don't think, first of all, I don't think players tank, and I really don't think coaches tank. Like, I don't think Fizdale's trotting out, unless he's getting a mandate from up top saying play Moutier because he's so bad. Right. Like, I just straight up think that Fizdale really likes Moutier, and I don't know if that's going to determine his future with the Knicks organization, but I think if Moutier is on the roster, Ted Fisdale is going to give him minutes. I think he just really likes the way he plays. You know, he's he's aggressive. He he does put pressure on the defense, and the mistakes he makes are are typically born out of uh, aggressiveness, right? He, yeah. Um, at least on the offensive end, on the defensive end, it's more kind of a lack of awareness. But yeah, I I just think that. Moutier, some of these these positive games, or at least the box score positive games, are going to – I'm also worried that they're going to convince the Knicks that he's worth investing in in the future, and I don't see it at all. But I think a lot of Nick, a lot of Knicks fans feel that way, and uh, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm just it, – it, it keeps me up at night that there's some attachment with Fizdale that he thinks like Manny Moutier can – I, not to get not to get too R-rated at this point of the night, Tom, but I, I almost feel like he, Fizdale looks at Moutier like he can be a notch on his belt. Like if he fixes Manny Moutier, that Fizdale can like add that to his resume. Like, yeah, Manny was really floating through the league, not doing much, and then look what I did with this guy. And that just scares me because I'm, you know, I've, as, as I mentioned before, Tom, you get to see someone like John Morant play basketball and you're like, okay, that's what NBA talent looks like and plays like in that kid's 18, 19. Um, I, Tom, in the, in the nicest way, we'd, we'd have some positives, some negatives about Moutier. Let's just, let's not even go there. 
Yeah, Let's I'm, I'm with you. I think before we get to the the NCAA portion of the pod, yes. which which will probably be the more fun part, we we should go through some of the the positives from this week. Oh yeah, um, I think that we should start with Kevin Knox. Um, Do it. So we had four games this week, lost all four, like we mentioned. Knox averaged just over 17 points per game. He shot about 43 percent from the field. But he also shot almost 42% from three on six attempts per game. Like that is some legitimate volume and it's, it's great accuracy. And it's honestly, it's not surprising to me. Like I just, I think he is going to level out to being a very good three point shooter at a respectable volume. Um, So yeah, like his shooting was obviously very encouraging Otherwise, like his rebounding, his assist numbers left a lot to be desired. He's still shooting some floaters that I could take or leave. No, I would leave for sure. Hard and leave. yeah, his 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 two point field goal percentage not great. He's still not finishing very well around the rim. But he did get out and transition a little bit more, and you're just seeing some more signs of energy like he had earlier in the season. Um, but yeah, it, like if you're just looking for the littlest things, it's a shooting. Like you have to take away. He's, he's been a very good three point shooter in uh, in recent games. Tom and I'm now, now that I'm I'm clicking between box score to box score to box score, just just checking out the games throughout the week. You, you mentioned before how organizations tank, not like the coach and the players. Like the the coach takes his guy, rolls him out there, and goes for it. Um, I think there is a plan. I, I don't fully know what it is, but I'll, I'll roll it out there with some of the Knox stuff you just talked about. Kevin Knox against Utah, 10 of 17 shooting, 3 of 6 from 3, 4 of 6 from the line, 27 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 block. Like, that's the Kevin Knox we're talking about. Um, and, Tom, I, the number that jumped out is one I haven't said yet. Kevin Knox played 47 minutes in that game. Whew. 47 minutes, Tom. That's um, asking a lot. Asking a lot for a 19-year-old wrapping up his first NBA season. Which segway, segues me a little, Tom. So they play the Nuggets after that. He plays 34 minutes. He has another nice night. 19 points, three rebounds, assists to steal. Uh, you'd, you'd like to see a little more filled out. The shooting percentage doesn't end up being great. But still, for... Again, who this kid is and where he's at in his career right now, that's fine. Tom, today, and this is where I'm saying I hope there's a plan, 19 minutes for Noxie, 4 of 9 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 11 points, 1 board. Uh, the rest of the box score is oddly empty. But Yeah, so Jake, I will jump in there just because I watched this one today. He did uh, in the first half towards the end of the second quarter, he stepped on Patrick Beverly's foot. He took a, a, a jump shot and he landed on Patrick Beverly's foot and, and sprained his ankle. And so he did not get to, he did not return. And so he, I mean, there's been some talk that they're looking to like shut him down for the season and not risk, uh, you know, further injuring him. Like what's the point of bringing him back. And so I'll be curious about that, but he was aggressive in that first half today and he looked pretty good. Like he, uh, he was hitting his three ball and he was getting to the rim a little bit, but unfortunately, the, the game was cut short there for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm watching that highlight now, and I'll, I'll be honest. I was scouting the March Madness crew. I know. Um, I know. That's why I had to fill you in there. But, 
Yeah, and I, I guess that's okay, but well, I get spinning spinning the whole thing into another point. Hey, don't play Kevin Knox 47 minutes. <laughs> should I should I say that? Yeah, um, that, that's a great call. That's um that's a little bizarre. Uh good for you, Knox. You get your shots up. Um yeah, that'll be interesting. Um I, I just mentioned the games left. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight games remaining. Um yeah, you wonder how they treat Knox's ankle. Cause and Tom, I guess I here's an interesting question for you. Kevin Knox, we've we've seen the spurts. Um, I mean it's it's still pretty much strictly scoring. <laughs> um we're not we're not seeing anything over the top in the rebounding or the passing game. Kevin Knox rolls his ankle today. Um we have eight games left. I mean what would you do? I, I know we obviously don't have the actual trainers in our ear or we're seeing Kevin Knox run around because this, I mean, this could be a Knox looks at them, says I'm good. And he's playing next game. I mean, is there a, like, should we be saying like, shut it down? Like we've seen enough and we're not going to see anything in the next eight games. That's going to really change our mind. Yeah, I don't know what the real purpose of shutting him down entirely is unless the ankle was bothering him. If he's healthy enough to play, I think just put him on a minutes restriction just to be on the safe side. I, I think, I mean, any 40 is absurd. So, like, yeah, I think if he's healthy, get him out there for 20 minutes or so and, and make sure he feels good about himself going into the offseason so he has some confidence. But we've definitely seen enough to know what he has to work on in the offseason. And and Clyde talks about it every broadcast how he needs to get in the weight room and get stronger and and that's just one of the more evident things that we've seen. So I think regardless of how this plays out, he'll know what he has to work on uh, this summer. But if he's healthy, get him out there for 15, 20 minutes a game and and have him feeling right going into his off season workouts. Yeah, I know. I know we're. We're not the coaches, but yeah, I guess you do something like that. I, I don't know. It's kind of one of those weird, weird middle areas. Cause in my initial reaction was like, all right, if Noxie's healthy enough, 15 to 20 and tell him like, Hey, just bombs away from three, like give him something specific to work on. But at the same time, if, if there's any hindrance of an injury, like I don't want him working on, you know, something outside of his game that could put him in a precarious position. Um, I don't know. I, I think, we are overanalyzing a little bit. If he's healthy, you run him out there. He's a 19-year-old kid. Any experience could help. Um, I, th- I think it will be interesting. I mean, if, if, if this were to be – if this was the last of Kevin Knox we saw this season, um, I, I think we'd we'll, – we'll maybe save it for a roundtable at the end of the year, but I think we'd have a lot of different answers about where people, where people currently stand on Kevin Knox. Yeah, I think he's one of the more polarizing players um, on the team. I, I put out a feature, I, I don't even know if it was last week, maybe it was like a little over a week ago, about whether Fizdale was responsible for Kevin Knox's um, struggles. He was struggling at the time. And the responses I was getting on social media, it was they were just so polarized. It was either no, like Fizdale doesn't deserve any responsibility for this, or like, yes, of course he does. Like Knox should be doing much better and Fisdale's holding him back. So like the fan base doesn't really know how to get, or just how to gauge what we've seen from him and put it into context of what this rookie should be doing. Uh, 
um, how efficiently he's been scoring, what his playmaking is like. Like he, he definitely um, is going to, to create a little disagreement among Knicks fans. Yeah, I think the the coach the coach analysis is funny to me because from what I've seen on the internet, Tom, between football, basketball, baseball, the coach never gets credit. Um, I, the 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 Yankees pitching coach is a guy named Larry Rothschild, who the internet is not a huge fan of, and you know they like to point at this, this, and this. But if a player does well the pitching coach never gets that credit. They're like, oh, wow, this player is doing so well. So I, I think bringing that to the basketball court, yeah, it's I, – I, right now it's almost – it's impossible for me to tie together Fizdale and Knox because who really knows? We, we don't know We don't know what coach Fizdale is because he's running out this ragtag bunch, and we don't know what player Kevin Knox is because he's a 19-year-old running with this ragtag bunch. So I don't know. Yeah, so, that, that's kind of the reasonable take. Um, but, but since we're talking about players like potentially sitting out the rest of the season, yes, I will, I will mention, uh, so Frank Nielakina played just under seven minutes today. He shot, uh, one, three, and that was it finished with zero points. Um, Ace him up. but he left the game with a sore groin, which I, I believe is the reason he missed all those games uh, in the middle of the season there. And, uh, Ian Begley from ESPN was speculating that he may not return, like he may not play for the rest of the year. Um, it was based on, it wasn't really based on anything, any reporting or anything. He was just kind of giving his two cents, but yeah, he, he wasn't sure that Frank would, would play it all for the rest of the season. And that's worrisome. I, I don't know that it just doesn't seem like the organization feels like Frank has a future with the team. And uh, Tom, I know I'm, I've been ending up on this side of the fence more than the other. And I, I mean, I'll preface it with like, I get it. He's a young kid. He's got some tools you can't teach, but I mean, if you're some of the people in this organization and you don't have any of your heartstrings attached to Frank, I mean, think about what you've looked at. Um, a, this guy has been missing for two months and we kind of like looked at each other and all shrugged a couple episodes ago, like. What what happened? And then when we saw him play this year, he's done the same stuff he did as a rookie. Now, we never got, and again, this ties in the coaching aspect that we don't have a full grip on, because we, we used to rip Jeff Hornacek. We said he'd never played Frank. Like, let him run 30 minutes. Let's see what the kid has. We never really got to see that from Frank this year, and it's, all right, injuries, they are what they are. I, I don't think we can say Frank's injury prone or anything like that. Um, an injury is an injury, but from what we've seen from him this year, what, I mean, what are you supposed to think? Um, I don't know. Yeah. The, you would just, if you're a pro Frank, you would just be preaching patience at this point and just saying like, here's a guy who plays great defense. You saw, depends how much stock you want to put into plus minus numbers for a single game, but in his first game back, the defense, the team's defense was much better when Frank was on the floor and he ended up with the, with the best uh, on-off differential on the team. So, yeah, sometimes that coincides with, with the eye test and other times it doesn't. But I know Frank fans would be saying, 
look, you need someone who defends the other team's best perimeter player. No one else on the team is going to do that other than Frank or no one's going to do it as well as Frank. So like he still adds value, even though he's not putting up box score stats. Yeah. And I mean, value wise, even, even if, uh, and I'm, I'm not this person, but if I was like, you got to trade this guy, he's a bum. I mean, a, well, that's a good, good trading negotiation voice right there. But B, uh, I mean, nobody knows what this guy's value is. Um, I don't think the Knicks know what this guy's value is. So I, I, um, I don't know. You almost have to say this is looking like a fully lost year for Frank, which is kind of devastating because <laughs> coming into this season, we were talking about <laughs> basically this season was to see Frank and Knox displayed and we haven't gotten it. And hopefully it's an injury bug. And I, I was going to say, I, and tying it with that trade thing, I don't know if there would be a deal to be made with Frank, even if you wanted to make one. So it'd be, if the Knicks have this offseason we're dreaming about, hopefully Frank gets a chance to fit in and play. And maybe it's really nice. Maybe he's accenting that defense rebounding passing. Um, but man, I feel like he's going to be on a short leash and we're, you know, we're 20 games next year away from it being like the end of the Frank Nilakina experience. Is that too dramatic? It's all on the table. So I, yeah, yeah. It, it's very possible that we've seen Frank play his last game as a Nick. It's also possible. Wow. Would, yeah. It's, it's definitely on the table, but it's also yeah. possible that, uh, that he comes back and is actually a, a valuable part of the team because we're going to need guys who can, play defense and be role players and do the little things. And that's something that he can do. It's not something Moutier can do. You know, um, if they draft John Morant as talented as he is, it's not like we'd expect him to be like a a guy who does the little things, at least straight out of the gate. And uh, yeah, so it's possible either way. It's it's hard. It's impossible to say at this point, but I I don't know. I'm bummed. It it was definitely a loss. We were hoping to see some, some major developments from Frank this year. Uh, I know a lot of us on this podcast were, were hopeful, but none of it really came to fruition. So, uh, you know, here's, here's, excuse me. Don't don't get too emotional, Tom. Yeah. You know how I get, but uh, we have to hope for next year. Tom's Tom's a little bit verklempt. I'm going to give him a topic. Frank Nidalkina is neither. No, I, uh, that was going to end up ugly. Um, I, I think we'll hit what's been our high notes heading up. We could say some nice thing about Dotson. Dotson played some minutes and got some buckets this week. Um, there's your Damian Dotson story. He he played well against the Clips. He played well against the Jazz. Um, his own is still cutting. Uh, DeAndre Jordan's the best passer on our team. Mitchell Robinson is still blocking shots, people. He brought, blocked three in 14 minutes against Toronto. Uh, he blocked three against the Jazz. Um, he blocked three against Denver. And then he had his two today against the Clippers. So he's still blocking shots at an insane rate. Um, the he, he had one good points game. He had 16 against the Nuggets. Um, he had 14, and he's been coming off the bench, too, against the Jazz. So Mitchell Robinson, same old song and dance, Tom. Do we need to dive into that? Well, Jake, first of all, thanks for stalling there. I almost uh... – almost choked yeah Um, yeah choked choked on frank (laughs) episode title 
choked on my emotions. Um, but yeah, so so Mitchell Robinson's two two block per game, two plus block per game streak continues. I know Kenny would want us to mention that. Sure. Um, and that's you know still a kind of a silver lining, I guess. But it's it's not like Robinson's been great recently. He's still struggling with the with the fouls. He's averaging just over. He's averaging four point three fouls per game in twenty minutes. So that's that's not great. You're kind of we were kind of hoping that he'd turn the corner there and and had learned yeah. to, to stay out of foul trouble there. But I mean, you can't complain with the season he's had. That's just nitpicking. Um, I guess I'll just going up and down the roster here, like Kadeem Allen is a guy who I think he could be someone who does the little things on the team next year. But, you know, how many minutes would a guy of Kadeem Allen's caliber really be playing on a, a playoff team or a top four seed? I, I'm not sure. Right. It, it's so hard to gauge based on <laughs> this, this team's production and this team's talent. But, uh, yeah, I, I think with that, we could probably move on to the, the more of the prospect segment. I mean, is Henry Ellens in the future, you know? Um, yeah, you're right, Tom. And it's, uh, uh, Nick's, we want to talk about you. Re- that's just a reminder. When, when you're listening to this on your commute, Dame Dot, know that we want to talk about you. But right now, still tough. And Tom, I, I, I think this will be a little fun. I, I, we're, we're not going to over deep dive and we, you and I found that out. Um, when we started digging through some of the different draft boards online, which, which actually is a is a fun discussion in and of itself, because it's uh, rarely this far into the college basketball season will you see this kind of variety in the draft boards. I mean, we're 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 seeing some guys top five that aren't in the lottery. We're seeing guys end of the second round that are in sneaking in the lottery, um, and I, I I think that's fun. If you're anybody that's into the draft. Um, this year, I, I feel like pick picks 10 to 40 might be a giant crapshoot this year, even more than they are in normal years. Um, nope, timer. Um, Tom, let's let's start. Everyone knows this Zion guy by now. If you're not, you wouldn't be listening to a Knicks podcast. You're, you're pretty tuned into the NBA. Your follows have been going up. You've got a good grip on the game. You got to see John Morant play basketball this weekend Tommy what what'd you think so I watched him play um in that second round game and he hit his first five three-pointers and I think everything that I'd heard about him was that he was not a great shooter but he's so dynamic off the bounce and so athletic and I definitely found that to be true but that that jump shot going down that was pretty surprising and i don't obviously you don't suspect uh that to sustain but like i don't know he he looked like a, a di- very dynamic like potentially great offensive player i've heard comparisons to i mean some have said like a, a less athletic westbrook i don't know that anybody is like a force of nature like westbrook so if you want to take it down a, a tier of athleticism and kind of insanity, maybe that's kind of more in line with what we're thinking here from Morant. But I mean, he, he, he seemed like a kind of a freak of nature, extremely quick, um, 
can get past his man at any time. And so I, I wonder like what the comparisons would be. Is he extremely different from Dennis Smith Jr., like who also came out of the uh, college just super athletic, able to beat his man off the bounce almost every time, but also struggled to finish in the restricted area. I think that's one knock on Morant. He's super skinny and has a hard time finishing at the, at the rim. Um, you don't suspect that to get better at the NBA level. But uh, and that's, that's mostly on his offensive side. His, his defense, from what I, from what I understand, uh, he was like, he kind of like got banged up in the first half or maybe in the, in the game prior. And so his yeah. defense was, was lagging, but he was having a really hard time with closeouts um, struggling to, to get out to three point shooters. He was kind of just running at them, but then just anytime they threw a pump fake, he'd be out of the play entirely. That's right. worrisome, but overall uh, he's got a ton of talent. So uh, he, you could definitely see why he'd be a top three pick in the draft. Yeah, and it's, you know, some of those little things, which, hey, the little things are important, and, you know, you end up on a on the wrong team, those little things matter a lot more, and I, I think the comparison that's been getting thrown out there is, is the guy that we've been talking about as Dennis Smith Jr.'s new nemesis is De'Aaron Fox. Um, you have very similar frames there. I, I think Fox has a half step on him speed-wise, but I think Morant has a half step on him jump-wise, if that makes sense. Um, and it, it, I loved his demeanor. Um, I, I saw a couple of interviews after the loss. I, I think something like that can't be overlooked. Um, the fact he was playing at Murray state with a lot of guys that don't have an NBA future. I think, I think there can be a mentality there for the kind of the letdown. Like, I, I'm just going to try to do this and be the hero. And if it doesn't happen, like I brought you guys this far, like, no, he was locked into that team. He was there to do it. I, I really appreciated that. And yeah, Tom, I know I'm keeping it wildcats right now, but at first I heard kind of John wall comparisons, which I think is funny because a, a John wall comparison a decade ago is kind of ideal for a lot of young point guards. Like you're fast, you're passing, you're, you're making it happen on offense and defense. With where the league's at now, John Wall's almost a scary thing that has <laughs> Washington in a, in a crippling caps, cap space area a little bit. And, I mean, it, it was one, one game. Well, it was two games, but it looks like John Morant can shoot a little more than what the early scouting reports were giving him credit for. And I guess that is kind of what's going to determine his ceiling is – like you mentioned, who, which point guards in the NBA right now are extremely successful who don't have a jump shot? It's Ben Simmons, who's 6'10", and that's kind of the end of the list, right? Like, yeah. You look at every other productive point guard, and they all can shoot either off the bounce or off the catch. So, um, yeah, those, those comparisons to, like, a John Wall, that – I mean, that's – it can only take you so far, it would seem, like based on what we've seen from John Wall's career, who who was probably as good as anybody in a lot of things. A like great passing vision, freak athlete, and um, I don't know. He seemed like he was a winner, but just couldn't really get over the hump. And so you wonder just if, if Morant's three-point shooter never comes around as like a consistent thing, like how how good can he be in today's NBA? If the Knicks end up with Ish, 
I was going to make an Ish Smith comparison to something earlier before, and that almost came out. But Tom, <laughs> let's let's keep it there. If the Knicks end up with Ish Smith, no, um, <laughs> John Morant. If if the Knicks stay pat, they're the two or three pick. They end up with John Morant. I mean, what do you think? What what would that mean for the Knicks going forward? I know that that's kind of like a loaded question. I I know we had we hadn't discussed too much, but let's let's hear it from the heart. I think if you draft Morant, then you probably see what you can get for Dennis Smith Jr. You see what you can get for Frank, um, and then for a backup point guard, yeah, it depends on on if Kyrie's coming or, or who's coming in free agency, but. I do think those are the two main things is you, sh- you look to ship out your two young point guards who were lottery picks in the last couple of years. Yeah, it would really <laughs> – things would come, come to a head quickly with DSJR and Frank. It would be uh, – you have to figure one of those guys is out of town. Um, yeah, it's t- tough for me to get my head wrapped around the Kyrie show recently. Yeah, um, Frank, Frank is probably more um, – able or willing to be a, a backup, even to right. a rookie, just based on his personality. <laughs> based on what, what's been happening. Right. I, I, Dennis Smith Jr. would not be cool with Morant coming in and like being a starting point guard, no matter who comes in in free agency. Uh, that just doesn't seem like – Dennis Smith Jr. seems like he's more of an alpha type than, um, than Frank. So either way, if, if Morant comes over, I'm thinking that's probably the move. Yeah, that's that's a really good call. The DSJR would not be able to do that. Um, and Tommy, I, I guess we could do a little around the horn. I know you and I want to keep this one high and tight. You said you watched some Gonzaga. You, I think you caught a little Dookie. What what else did you see out there? Do you see Do you see any future Knicks, Tom? Well, so I know RJ Barrett is is Duke's wing, and he's projected to be a top three pick as well. And I, have you seen a lot of this guy? I've seen a decent amount of Barrett. I think um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I, I'll say can feed into you. I think because he's a lefty and with the way – I don't want to say he plays timid sometimes, but he, his game's a little different. His game's quiet, if that makes sense. Um, and I think people wanted to compare him to, like, potentially a next James Harden. I think a little bit because he's lefty, he can shoot, he wants to drive, and his game isn't like, his game isn't, you know, 110% on the gas pedal. There's there's some cruise control to it, but it's you can't tell which part of that is an art form and which of that is like, dude, you're incredible, go get it. Um, I I like him. I I don't know. He's he's a guy that you can't tell how much the Zion show is affecting him either. So I, I don't know how much of that feeds into what, what you were looking at. Well, I was, just, I was looking through his numbers, and he's just been wildly inefficient this year. He's hitting 30% of his threes on over six attempts per game. And that's, on, that's from a, a college three-point line. Yeah. That's pretty rough. He's... He's shooting about 53% from two, which is okay. But then you factor in his, his free throw percentage is just 66%. That's a, that's a very inefficient player for someone who takes as many shots per game as he does. Um, 
I don't know, from what you were saying before about him just being kind of a quiet player and, and unassuming at times, given his size, he's 6'7", 200 pounds. I wonder if there's like a, a Tracy McGrady sort of hope for him because I'm seeing his – he averages 23 points, 7.7 rebounds, and four assists. The four assists is kind of intriguing. I, I wonder – like I haven't watched enough of him to know if he's actually a plus playmaker for his position. But, I mean, given those that those assist numbers, you'd think – he must be at least a, a capable passer. Yeah, he he is. He he can handle the rock for them. Um, Jones has been their point guard. He's he's been injured a little bit this year, but I mean Barrett Barrett has the ball in his hands a good amount, um, which I you know some people could put that as a plus or a minus. He can dribble. He can pass. Um, he can shoot. The efficiency is interesting, Tom. Um, you you wonder, but you wonder. There's some guys that for what he's going to be asked to do at the NBA level, it, I don't want to say there's shackles on him in the NCAA, but a in a in a free-flowing NBA game and you mentioned those four assists. Like I actually I haven't deep deep dove into his passing. I I couldn't tell if you if he's a beautiful passer or if he just plays in the offense or if he gets on the break and he's got Zion Williamson who's a monster throw it up there. Um but I think all of those things almost translate just even a little better to the NBA game where it's, it's more up tempo, go get it. You know, you, he probably won't have any, I don't know if, if he takes a three pointer (laughs) when they just got across mid court, he doesn't have to worry about coach K pulling them in one of the 30 games coach K has him for, you know, I Nate McMillan will let him shoot that shot a couple times to see where he lands. Not that he's going to the Pacers. Shout out to Nate. Good coaching job this year. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, and now that I'm clicking around in time, we, I, I said this a second ago, but we had some fun going from uh, The Ringer to ESPN uh, to Bleacher Report to NBADraft.net. And I, it's after those top like three guys or so, um, everyone's all over the board. I, I think it's funny with, with Barrett, and I'm seeing some of the same comparisons uh, for his teammate there. I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. Is it Cam Reddish? Uh, yeah, I'm seeing some of the same player comps for him and Cam Reddish, which I think is funny, but I'm seeing some like some Rudy Gays, some Jalen Roses. I saw Harrison Barnes, which for where R.J. Barrett was at, like a consensus number one pick, to those comparisons, that has me a little worried. That's fair, and I, I think those comparisons are pretty solid too. Um, he does seem to be like a, a super high volume shot taker. Uh, whether or not he he can actually get those shots to go is another thing. But Cam Reddish is another guy whose stats I was I was digging into. And first of all, he's he's big. He's six eight, two hundred eighteen pounds. Um, but he must be one of the least efficient players in the country like given his given his uh, the number of shots he takes he's hitting 35% from the field and it gets worse like his true shooting <laughs> his true shooting is 49% like that is that's like Kevin Knox rookie season level and he's doing this in college like it's it's pretty shocking considering he's not the first option on his team. He's not the second option on his team. He's drawing worse defenders, and he's just 
not making shots. Like he's not making his three pointers, but even worse, he's he's shooting below 40% from two at at six foot eight. And like the third option, it's crazy. That's that's brutal. Yeah. And it's, uh, it it is funny because you get into those stats and it starts getting scary, right? Where it's, I think everyone's kind of been doing this shrug fest all year. Like, oh, yeah, he's he's the one that didn't blend in perfectly. Like, tough break, Cam. And it's like, well, isn't that problematic? Like, do, do oh, so he couldn't be the third guy at Duke, but he'll, he'll be the number two scorer on your Atlanta Hawks? Like, I don't think it necessarily translates like that. And I, I think he's – he's I think he's probably the most polarizing prospect in this draft right now. Um, and just, I, uh, you know, the ringer, which I, I was fighting you on before this, but the ringer has shades of Paul George, Richard Lewis, or a bigger Ben McElmore. So, okay. So a guy that could be third in the MVP this year, or a guy that's on his way out of the league. Yeah, those are, that's a pretty, uh, large disparity, big spread in the player comps there at the ringer. But, I mean, maybe that's like a ceiling and floor sort of thing. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's, it, it bothers me that it's a little more fun talking about these guys. But I, I do get it. It's the fun of the draft. And I think as we get closer, maybe we'll leak in a little more and more, Tom. I know we, we, we didn't even touch upon the Zion show. I know that's a little scary. Um, oh, Tom, there is, we do have one last thing we have to do. Before we wrap this one up that's not ask the people for a five-star review it's the new tradition tom tankathon tankathon let's get to it we each ha- we each have to run our one tankathon sim and wherever it lands if it lands good for the knicks top two we're happy if not it means we got one of the odds out of the way i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna hit it three two one all right, Knicks with the fourth pick. Done. Don't have to worry about that on draft day anymore. All right. Three, two, one. You're not going to believe me. Tom. Knicks with the first pick. We did. You heard it here first. The Knicks get Zion. They'll probably do something bizarre and flip him for Anthony Davis, even though he won't resign. No, I'm not. I'm not going there tonight. Um. I'm going to screenshot this. This is exciting. I've actually never – I've done multiple tankathons, sim lotteries. I've never had Knicks number one. So this is this is a big moment for me. Tom, that's the nicest way to kind of crush my soul a little bit. So <laughs> I thank you. Um, God, that Zion guy. That uh, When those lottery balls bounce, Tom, it's going to be a very interesting day for the Talking Knicks crew. Um, and if you have been listening um, – we have the new Talking Knicks website. I'm, I'm going to start putting out some more stuff like that. Just some blogs. We'll have the podcast there. Hopefully, we'll start putting out more and more fun stuff as, as we start sneaking into fun times in Knicks land. Uh, Tommy, you got you got an article coming out this week, or are you just vacation mode? Uh, still just coming down from vacation mode, but I do hope to get something out next weekend. Um, it'll likely be one of my three, two, one columns because nothing really is, a nothing's really sticking out to me as a, as a major topic to hit, but, uh, hopefully I'll find a bunch of little things to, to write about and, and make interesting. Yeah, we can, uh, you know, as, 
is Luke Cornett's post defense. You know, <laughs> I, I saw I saw he was ranked super high on one of those uh, B ball index lists. He, he Do we was, need to talk and, about that? We we shouldn't, but th- if okay. we were through, this would be the time to do it at the very, very end. Yeah, Luke Cornett rated among the best rim protectors in the league for the B-ball index's uh, stats. But, yep. Leave, leave that as your review. Luke Cornett is one of the best rim protectors in the league. Um, for myself, Jake Stromboli, Jake, Jake Storielli, at Talking Jake on Twitter. For, for Thomas Piccolo, at, at – Tom Thomas Piccolo, Thomas J. At Piccolo. Tom at, underscore Piccolo. At the hammer, Tom underscore Piccolo. Give him a follow. He he does a bunch of the games live. He's got good vids, analysis, the good stuff. What what you're on the internet looking for. So check that out. Uh, final words for Nick Nation. Uh, eight games left. Knock on wood. Start going to Tankathon and getting those W's. Um, I think that's it. Thank you so much. Let's go, Knicks.